Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 17, Stephen Beard. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Everyone's here. Yay. Another week. Another week has come and gone. Another story. Another good story. What's the story? So our story this week is in Austin, Texas. So Austin, for those that don't know, is our state capital. Yes, it is. So I'm taking us to the wee early morning hours of October 2nd, 1999. So this is in actual Austin or a suburb? In Austin. So 911 call goes out and 911 answers, which emergency? And a man by the name of Stephen Beard says, I need an ambulance, hurry. And he says, my guts just jumped out of my stomach. They blew out. Yeah, they blew out of my stomach. They're lying on my stomach. And then I'm one operator says, okay, they're lying on your stomach. And Steven says, yes, I'm in bed. I'm in awful pain. And the operator says, I'm having a hard time figuring out what's going on. And he says, I don't know what happened. I've never had this happen before. Of course. <laughs> I mean, obviously. So, I'm not familiar with guts coming out. I don't know if I'm acting right. No. Or... So that's kind of a vague scene, but that's the scene. But let me give you some history on His who Stephen Beard is. Out. Okay. So there's a man in his house and he's stating that his guts are just laying on his stomach and he doesn't know what's happened it's he woke up and this is what's going on he doesn't see anyone he didn't hear anything this is just what's happening so all right interesting steven beard was actually born in dallas to a very poor family and he always wanted to be a doctor he dreamed of having a much better life than what he was raised with Mm -hmm. he joined the navy and fought in world war ii once he got home he started working at a department store and he met his first wife elise adams and they married in 1951 and they had three children okay after a while of living in dallas they moved to austin where he started working at an advertising agency and with his good work ethic and his drive to want more in life he rose to the top very fast so by 1978 he was a top executive and he still wanted more so he co-founded an austin tv station while still working for the advertising company in fort worth definitely a go-getter huh so he was very successful in 1993 his wife uh, elise died of cancer oh that sucks now he's gonna be by himself and very single, he decides to sell the TV station and he sells it for $54 million. Wow. So he takes some time off and because he's worked so hard for the last 20 years. So he decides to go on some vacations. He goes with his brother and some family members. They go to Greece. They go to different places and women are all over him, especially because Is he attractive or is Uh, it just because of his money? His money. I mean, he walks anywhere and they know who he is. I mean, he's the co-founder of a TV station. His name was on every episode of anything to do with that TV station. So, but they knew who who he is in Greece? Well... Or his popularity was with Austin people? Austin people or any people that came from Texas that traveled with him overseas. And then when they got to know him and heard what he did, women were all about him. Okay. So, So his family tells him, when you get back home and get your shit together, now that your wife is gone... And you've sold your TV station. You just need to be careful with who you talk to, who knows your business, because walking around being worth $54 million is a lot. So you just need to be careful. So he starts frequenting an Austin Country Club. And he goes and plays golf there, and he hangs out there. And he meets a young 32-year-old, Celeste Martinez. And she's a waitress there. And he thinks that she is absolutely gorgeous. So he goes there more often. He leaves her really big tips. Uh Uh-oh. And then he asks her, are you looking for any extra work? And she's like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm also a housekeeper. He's like, oh, well, can I hire you? He hires her as, as his a housekeeper. A cocaine maid? <laughs> Not a cocaine <laughs> maid. Um, as a housekeeper. So she goes and she becomes his housekeeper. While still working as a waitress. Correct. Okay. So one of his family members goes with him to a big game. They go to some big sporting event and he brings Celeste as his date. So his family's like, uh, is this really his housekeeper or is this his girlfriend? Like there's a... Very big difference between the two. Who is this girl and why is she coming around? So they start 
worrying about so did they know who she was that that was his maid they or knew, this was their first introduction to her in general they knew of her they heard okay. her name and he had said that they and they that's they told him be careful you know she's 32 mm-hmm. and okay he at this time he was 75 oh wow i no, didn't I'm sorry. put that together yet he was 70 he was 70 she's 32 oh okay. there's a big leap there Okay, so big age difference. He's got a lot Giant of Giant age difference, yes. Okay. And Celeste had a little bit of a, a little bit of baggage, a little bit of history. She had been divorced three times, and she had a set of twin daughters, which this is really sad. She voluntarily put them in the foster system on five different occasions because she either couldn't take care of them, didn't want to take care of them, wanted to feed her drug habit, or she met a new guy. I mean, I hate that, but at least she was responsible enough to say, I'm irresponsible. I can't take Take care of them. You should. It sucks for them. But several times she put them in the system. So she had this craving to want to have a perfect family so that she could bring her daughters back and be the perfect mom that she felt she needed to be and wanted to be. So Stephen starts dating Celeste, and she's no longer the housekeeper. Now she's the girlfriend. So she doesn't have to work. She's just his girlfriend now. And She's just the just girlfriend now. She's still waitressing at the country club because she gets paid good money and big tips. So she stays there. Keep those tips up. But his family, even his kids, are telling him, Dad, you know, she's really young. Like, you need to be careful. Like, this could be a bad situation. And he's like, well, don't worry because I'm going to marry her. And don't worry, I'm going to have her sign a prenup. Okay. Let me tell you the conditions of the prenup. They get married February of 1995. He is 70. She is 32. The prenup was that after the ceremony, you will get $500,000. If you stay married to me for three years, then you'll get the other $500,000 that you're entitled to. So she's like, okay, that's fine. No problem. That works for me. So in six months, she spent her first 500 grand on clothes, jewelry. In six months? Six months. Then Stephen Beard adopts her twin daughters. So he goes and gets them out of foster care and brings them home. They start there. By this time, they're in their teens, 15, 16. They go to Westlake High. They're in the better side of town. Of course. And they're not used to this, having money. And then their mom is like, they don't really know their mom. Because growing up, they were never really around her. She's a stranger. And because of Stephen... The girls are now living a more normal life. They they have a place to sleep at night. What's with their mom? They've been adopted. Right. So, of course, Celeste is very, very happy. And she, the first three years of their marriage, she does everything that he wants. Everything. Well, then the three years is up in February of 1998. So she gets her other 500 grand. Well, it's been three years. So now her daughters are about to graduate high school. So she decides she's going to throw a birthday party for them. In the process of her doing that, this wild side of her starts coming out that Steven's never seen. She's sleeping with other men. She's going out and drinking whenever she wants. She's doing drugs. And so she throws this big birthday party for her daughter's turning 18. And not only does she invite her ex-husband, whom she says she's sleeping with because her 70-year-old husband can't satisfy her. And she makes this known to people she talks to. She doesn't keep it, like, inside. She makes sure people know knows how awful her bedroom life is. So she throws I this party. I feel so sorry for her. I know, right? Yeah. Nothing a vibrator can't fix, I guess. So not only does she have what a party. What the fuck? We're not going to ride right past that just now. His so, name's Bob, right? We know this. So not only does she throw the party. <laughs> and spends $10,000 of Steve's money on this party, hires male strippers. Wait, did it come from her 500 grand or no, it came out of his? No, came out of his money. She hired male strippers for her 18-year-old daughter's birthday party? And an open bar. Inappropriate. And she didn't invite him. She didn't invite her own husband? No, she invited her ex-husband. For Was the, the party in his mansion? No, she rented the country club that she waitressed at. Mm-mm-mm-mm. that so, wasn't a party for them that was a party for her exactly okay. and at the party multiple witnesses talked when she was on the dance floor getting crazy with the strippers and drinking and going crazy her poor daughters that can you imagine how embarrassed they were they were like so embarrassed it's supposed to be their birthday party and they are 18 they can't even drink so they were very uncomfortable at their own party and yeah. they end up leaving their party with their boyfriends and they leave before the whole birthday's even done Celeste never notices because she's in her own world having of her own Of course party. not. And so what about the other, were there other 18-year-old people at the party? Maybe. I don't like, know. Like, as a parent, I would be completely pissed. First of all, I wouldn't let my kids go to that. Yeah. If there's alcohol I, strippers. From what I gather, I doubt it. I'm sure yeah. it was all her friends 
And if it was an open bar and she paid 10 grand, there'd have to be a lot of 21 year olds there mm-hmm. or over. So in the while she's on the dance floor with her ex-husband and some of their friends that know Stephen and know her, that's when she starts talking about how Stephen can't satisfy her and she calls him Big Daddy Warbucks and a fat ass and he loves her, but she is not satisfied with him. And who's going to take me home tonight? Because I have a lot of, I need to be satisfied. So that's really disgusting and very, very inappropriate. (laughs) And these are people that some of the people worked at the country club. And so she's saying this and then Stephen Beard's going to come back in and play some golf tomorrow. You know, and he has no idea. He's at home asleep. He has no idea this is going on. Well, that's partly his fault, I would say. Well, he loved her regardless. He didn't see the side these people talked about. So... She starts getting a little brave and she starts spiking his drinks with sleeping pills and she poured out his vodka and replaced it with Everclear. And she'd make him drinks and hope as soon as he went to sleep, she'd go out and party. Her point was to keep him asleep so she could go party and he wouldn't realize she was gone. So she ran up $300,000 in four months in shopping and entertainment. My God, I can't imagine spending that much money on just clothes and jewelry. Like, I could see spending it, like, on cars vacation. and vacations. Yeah, yeah. But just clothes and jewelry, I can't. Like so he... Yellowstone for the day. No shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, nobody else would be here. It's <laughs> so he gets a call from his attorney. And he's like, hey, you know, I've heard from the bank. And your money's depleting faster than you're earning it. And that's never happened in... The 50 years that I've been your attorney. Like, it, what's going on? Are, are you having health concerns? Like, are you what's, Are you investing money? Like, what are you doing I don't know about? And he's like, I had no idea she was spending this money. So he threatens divorce on her. He basically confronts her and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. He kicks her out. He's like, pack your shit up and leave. The girls can stay, but you got to go. So she writes him a long letter. And she uses her charm to try and win him back. And she's like, I love you. Ever since the day I met you, I've loved you. You're like the man I always wanted and never had. And I just, I can't live without you. I'm so sorry. I love you. Money, money, and money. And it, it doesn't help. He doesn't Good. buy it. He goes to his attorney. He's like, start the proceeds with divorce. I want to divorce her. I'm done. So he comes home from his a meeting with his attorney to find his adopted daughters in the kitchen terrified and crying and she is standing in the kitchen with a gun to her head before i will kill those two girls and then myself you don't want me you can't have them either so you can't you can't make me leave freaking psycho you 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 can't do that and so he's like no 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 calm down you can't do this to the girls it's not fair obviously you need some help i'm gonna check you into timberlawn timberlawn is a psych hospital okay twelve hundred dollars a day it costs to be there It's it's very expensive So she goes, well, while she's gone, the daughters are like, oh, my God, we have to get rid of this gun. The gun's not even loaded. Oh, my God. They're like, what? She's like, the girls are like, what a freaking idiot. Like, how did we not realize? She pointed an unloaded weapon at us and to herself. So she goes, she gets checked into Timberlawn and she stays there for a month. And while she's there, she meets a woman named Tracy Tarleton. And she's staying there for psych problems and bipolar. She's had a long history of being abused by men and women, mm. sexually, oh. emotionally, physically. She's just had a really bad she's past. She's really broken. So Celeste, being the intoxicating person she is, which is how Tracy describes her, she gets very attached to Celeste. She's funny. She's like this ray of sunshine she's been looking for her whole life. And she just gets really close to her. Tracy was smart in the sense that she had a bachelor's degree that she got from UT Austin. She uh, managed two bookstores in Austin. I mean, she had a good job. She had gotten out of the drug life. And she was really making a life for herself when she kind of started to hit a rough patch and didn't want to fall back into those habits. So she checked herself into Timberline. So she wouldn't go down that path again. And that's where she meets Celeste. Though they, they were two very opposite women. Tracy was very masculine. She had very short hair. She was in love with women. She she was a lesbian. And then there was Celeste, who I'll you know post pictures. She's very beautiful. She had blonde hair. So Celeste is just the complete opposite of her. And Celeste likes men. Celeste likes money. She likes sex. She she's just very different. Very 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 polar opposites. But Tracy starts to become very attracted to her. So towards the end of their time at Timberlawn, Tracy's feelings develop deeper for her than just a friend. And Celeste goes back home, tells Stephen, you know, I met this woman in there. She, I confided in her. I feel so much better. She's such a good friend of mine. I really want you to meet her. So 
Celeste brings Tracy over one night and they have dinner and Steve is okay with their relationship. He's like, you know, they're friends, yeah. you know, I mean, she may be into women, but Celeste obviously is not. So I'm okay with him being point, friends. It's not really about a romantic relationship with her and Steve anymore anyway. Right. Very true. So he wouldn't care. He wouldn't care if if it were more than that, or would he? I think he would care because he's a very old-fashioned man, you know? Fair enough. That's true. Um, So Celeste starts telling Tracy that Stephen abuses her. He emotionally abuses her, which is why she ended up in the psych hospital, that he pushed her to put the gun to her head, and that he's physically hurt her in the past, and that she just feels that she can't leave him. Because Tracy's, you know, telling him, like, her, like, why don't you leave him? Like, you love me. I love you. Why don't you leave him? She's like, oh, I can't. He's abusive. I'm under his thumb. Like, I don't have a choice. You always have a choice. So Tracy starts to become obsessed with her. There was an instance where there was another party that Celeste throws. Once again, Stephen was not invited. He was so at it was home. the same situation at the country club with a lot of people. This was at her ex-husband's house. Okay. This would be, this was the father of her twin girls. Mm-hmm. And there was a party there and a lot of her friends, Celeste's friends from a long time ago that have known her and knew her ex-husband was like, this is very awkward. Like Tracy's very close to her. She's in her space. This is, and when they saw pictures of Tracy that Celeste showed when they were in the Timberline, her hair was very dark. Like I said, she was very manly. But now looking at her, she her hair's highlighted and she's wearing a dress. And they're just like, who is this person? Like, is she trying to be like Celeste? Is she trying mm-hmm. to find herself? Like, this is a very weird situation. So, so some of her friends were like, maybe you should keep your distance from her because something doesn't seem right about her. She could become obsessed with you. And if you're not a lesbian, like she could kill you. Or maybe she could become so obsessed that she kills him. You need to be careful. So just... Just keep your distance. They're drinking at the party and they go outside and they have a dance floor. Well, Tracy kind of forgets there's people around and she starts getting real handsy with Celeste. And two of the husbands of her friends make her leave. They're like, Uh you are embarrassing her. You need to leave. Well, Celeste is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You shouldn't do that. You need to leave. And Tracy's like, oh, no, she didn't. Like, we just had sex before the party at my house. Wow. And now she's going to do this to me like this. Mm. I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate this. So the next day after the party, Tracy's calling her. She's not answering her calls. And some of Steven's friends reach out to Steven. They're like, you need to get Celeste away from her. Something's not right. And something needs to change because this girl's obsessed with your wife. So he decides to book a European vacation for just him and her. He's like, maybe if we go away, get away just from him and all. her and we can rekindle what we had and Tracy will be gone. She'll find somebody else, and it'll it'll be better. See, so I've always, I've always enjoyed that idea, right? And it's in Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. She, Susan Sarandon? No. Sally Field. Sally Field is like, no, bullshit. Our problems will be here waiting for us. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not going to solve jack shit. It's no. Never does. Don't do it, people. In fact, save your money. It may make it worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It usually makes it worse, right? And then now you're in debt from this giant trip. Yeah. <laughs> So a few days later is whenever they're actually going to leave for the vacation. So days leading up to the to the vacation, which they're supposed to leave on October 3rd. So the day that he calls 911 is October 2nd. Okay. So the day they're supposed to leave when? They're supposed to leave October 2nd. The 911 call is sent out early mornings on the 2nd. And their flight was going to leave later that morning. Okay. So, so the same day. The same day early, that, early. He, that they're supposed to be going... On vacation is the day he calls 911. As the days are leading up, the the twin girls are getting very worried because they feel that their mom, there's something wrong with their mom. Are they also going on vacation with them? It is just just him and her. Okay. And they notice that she's kind of like twitchy and like she's asking a lot of questions like, where are you going? What are you doing? She's always skeptical of what they're doing and she's always looking outside. And so they're like, is someone following you? Like, are you Mm -hmm. worried about something? And she's like, no, no. You know, you just never know. We live in this big house and... We have all this money. Anybody could rob us. Anybody could come in here. We just need to be careful. Make sure the doors are locked. Giant lesbians, but. So, um, so now we have 3 a.m. on October 2nd, 1999. An intruder has gone into the Beard home. So after the 911 call was placed, policeman arrives on scene. And whenever he gets there, he goes to the front door. It's locked. He goes to the back of the house. And he goes around the pool. And he goes to the sliding door. And he can see a man 
laying on the ground, which he's assuming is Stephen Beard, but he can't get the sliding glass door open. So he uses his baton. He breaks through the door and he goes in and, you know, Stephen Beard's moaning and he's like, you know, what happened? Do you know what happened? He's like, I don't know. And then he hears a woman coming down saying, what's going on? What's going on? And telling the two daughters, stay upstairs. I don't know what's going on. And then she turns the light on at Celeste. And so she comes running towards the policeman and she starts screaming, oh my God, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? Please save him. Please don't let him die. I can't live without him. We're supposed to go on vacation. We're going to fix our marriage. Like she's going through all this stuff. And so they're they're trying to save him. He has a pulse. He is alive. Mm-hmm. So the paramedics come. They get him and they take the daughters and Celeste. They all go to the hospital and they work on him and they get him stable enough. He's unconscious, but he's stable. So the policeman's baffled. He's like, what did I, there's, it's, it doesn't look like a stab wound. He's just a giant hole in his stomach. So he and looks over the room out. and his guts are coming out. He what looks, her, he looks her, he looks around the room and he finds a single shell casing. So he's like, this is a crime scene. This is not a problem. This isn't because initially the 911 call, he says, my guts jumped out of my stomach. Mm-hmm. So he thinks like his stomach has exploded. No one heard anything. No one saw anything. So he has no reason to believe that someone did this to him. Right. He thinks it just happened. So when they see the shell casings, he notifies the hospital. So the hospital says, um, okay, we're going to need to check all the all for gunpowder. We need to make sure none of y'all mm-hmm. did this. So they check them and all of them are cleared. So Celeste and the daughters are interviewed by the detectives. Well, all of them are saying... There's this woman named Tracy Tarleton. She's obsessed with my mom. Celeste says the same thing. Tracy's been obsessed with me. She wants me to be in this gay relationship, and I don't want to be. I met her and tells the whole story. So a few hours later, they go to Tracy's house, and they question her, and they say, do you have a shotgun? She's like, oh, yeah, I do. Let me go get it for you. So she pulls out a 20-gauge shotgun. Not only does she have one, but it also has her name inscribed on it. So they take it in, and sure enough, it matches the shell casing. But why would she turn it over if she was uh, the one that did it? Huh. Hmm. Yeah. So they obviously pull her in, and they start questioning her. And she tells them, oh, I, me and Celeste have a relationship. We've been having an affair for months. And Uh-oh. Stephen didn't know, but I love her. She loves me. She's and, lying to everyone. And I've been trying to help her because he's been abusing her, and he's been emotionally hurting her and physically hurting her. So I've been trying to get her out of that this awful marriage. So they arrest her for attempted murder. And while Stephen Beard is fighting for his life trying to stay alive what do you think she decides to do so it wouldn't be what normal people like you right. and i, exactly. I mean, she wouldn't be sitting by his side trying to console him and be there for him or for her daughters no did she throw another party no she went out and spent eighty thousand dollars on jewelry oh okay what the fuck yeah and then she called his attorney and said just because he's in the hospital doesn't mean that my ten thousand dollar monthly allowance goes away so i just want to make sure that the first is coming up they're, they're, wow. And I want to make sure that my money's going to be in there. They're like, oh, yeah, it'll be there. So November 1st comes around, and she takes the 10K to Louisiana and gambles it while her husband's fighting for his life in the hospital. So he's in the hospital for about four months. He's in the hospital. Her her gay friend is in jail. Who knows where her daughters are? And she's out gambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. how she deals with things. So four months go by, and unfortunately, Mr. Beard passes away. Without ever waking up. Oh, he, he was awake. <gasps> Most of the time he was awake. So could he tell them anything about what happened? He had no idea. He had no idea why anybody would have shot him. And he had, he did not believe that Celeste had anything to do no, with it. No, but so he did know that someone came in and shot him? Yeah, or he did was he told only that. know that because they told him? Because they told him that. So he just woke up and he, he was... Wo- he, he woke up and was from the pain, from what he said. Well, and who knows how much shit she gave him to go to sleep in the first place. That's true. And I'm then sure he, she was when still he, doing that. All he knows is he woke up and he looked down and his bowels and stomach was laying on his stomach. So did he like get up and start walking out like why did they find him where the through the because that's patio where the phone door was. well that so it, i'll show a picture so he called 911 yeah the 911 was him remember because he tells right. them my guts are hanging out so when you stand but at was the patio she in door, bed with him she was in another bedroom asleep oh, sleep because together. he snored so she slept upstairs with the daughters in another room oh and he was downstairs guy. and he was downstairs and when you it's really weird how close this bedroom he stayed in was to the sliding door which i'll post a picture okay but when you stand there it's maybe 10 feet from his doorway to the sliding glass door. Okay. And he was laying right there because the phone was right next on the dresser next to the door to the bedroom. So he passes away. 
from an infection in his lungs due to the complications of the shotgun wound because at obviously yeah and at this by now he's 75 because they've been they were together for five years so would you like to guess now whenever they met he was worth 54 million okay do you want to know how much he's worth at his death 20 10 oh my god she spent that much of his money in five years she spent 40 well, if million she could dollars spend almost she spent 500,000 in six months so and yeah 40 million in five years can you imagine i mean one million alone was just to stay married to him you know so they go to court and she's entitled to six point five million dollars in assets and his children get the rest which was three and a half million so they go and they they bury him next to his first wife who died of cancer so he gets buried next to her that's good and celeste is going to the bank to get more money and the bank basically tells her you need to pump the brakes on your inheritance we have to get all the paperwork figured out we and i think maybe the bank may have felt like something wasn't right so she's like Okay, fine. Fuck you then. I'll find a way to get money. So remember all the money that she was spending buying clothes? She wasn't wearing them. She was hoarding them. So she goes home and she calls her daughters from yeah, upstairs that's a lot to come downstairs. And she said, I need y'all to take all these clothes. And she opens up a room, like an entire bedroom with racks of brand new clothes with tags, clothes, shoes, purses, never been worn, Jewels. still have price tags. And tells the girls, go return everything and get cash. Because she doesn't want to show her face there because she bought this stuff, right? Oh my God. Those so she sends girls. these poor 18 year old girls. They're not, they're not still 18. Yeah, they're 18. No, they're 21 now. Sorry, I was gonna say, yeah. wait, wait. She no says, time yeah, passed because they're in college. The 18th birthday party, and now they're they're 21. Right. They're in college, so they're still living but at they're home. They're still living with her, and she sends these poor girls to go take the clothes back. Well, unfortunately, they won't give her cash. Because no. these aren't, I mean, they, when I was it's listening to the documentary. It's more days old, probably. It's, and some of these outfits are like $1,000 each. They're not going to get, so they give her store credit, so she's pissed. So the girls come back to the house with $25,000 worth of store credit. J.C. Penney, Dillard's, Ann Taylor, Neiman Marcus, all these stores, and she is livid. She's like, what the, what am I going to do with gift cards? Sell them. So what's really sad is the daughter said that they called her Mommy Dearest. Never to her face. But behind but her back. they would always be like, have you spoke to Mommy Dearest today? Because she was just so evil to them. So Celeste is just pissing through the money that she's getting. And so she's constantly calling the bank back saying, I need you to move more money over. I need to come pick up a check or... I need money for this. I need money for that. Not to mention the money that it takes to keep the house running. And he doesn't own anything anymore that's bringing in income because he sold everything. So there's no money coming in. She's just draining it mm-hmm. so fast. She's fucking crazy and stupid. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I so, can spend money faster than anybody I know. Yeah. So Tracy Tarleton is released on bail. She makes bail. Oh, and she's oh, out. Oh, oh. <laughs> and <laughs> So... Police know that Celeste has to be involved somehow. Okay, they good. they they just know they're like just bide our time. Something's gonna Her something's gonna after, change. Like they probably didn't know until the hospital visit when she's not there and she's over gambling. They're like, yeah, something's going on here. I'm sure. So they decide because they know how very conceited she is. They decide to on the six o'clock news the day that Tracy's released on bail that they're looking to question Celeste as they feel she has involvement. So she hears this on the news and she's like, "What? Oh my god!" So she starts freaking out. She calls her daughters and one of her daughters' boyfriend is with her. She's on speakerphone. She tells them, "I need y'all to come home. We're all gonna take poison and die together as a family." I'll be right there. Yeah, because we can't let we people can't think. Let them know what I've been doing. Yeah. Like, we, we can't let this happen. The daughters were like, you're fucking crazy. We're yeah. not coming home. We're going the other direction. Not going to happen. I, I couldn't. I know family. You love somebody and all that kind of yeah. shit. Yeah. But you pointed an empty gun at me. You pointed an empty <laughs> no gun at me. No shit. You fucking Go put me. Go ahead and try and tell me what the fuck to do. You, exactly. You gave me up at least five times that I can remember as. I'm at, only here because of the old man yeah, that right. treated us respect and helped us get an education. And give us yeah. the only, the I mean, they're in college because of him. That's what I'm saying. So the only parent they had is now dead. Yeah. They're smart enough to stay there long enough to get their education and get the fuck out. So she decides to check herself back into Timberlawn because apparently she's had a psychotic break and she oh, needs okay. to go back. So she stays a few weeks. So she called one of her daughters to pick her up from the psych hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, just a few weeks ago, she told her to kill herself. So she's like, nah, mm-mm, I'm not picking you up. <laughs> she's like, all right, all right. So she calls her other daughter. Now, this one is more timid and very more attached to her mother than the other one. So she agrees to pick her up. Uh-oh. She calls her sister. She's like, if I don't go get her, I'm going to regret it. So I'm just going to go ahead and get her. She's like, don't do it. She's like, well, I'm doing it. 
Don't worry. I'm doing it. So while the daughter's in the car with her mom, her mom calls the other daughter, Mm -hmm. and she starts yelling at her. And apparently, Celeste was molested by her dad when she was little. And her daughter stated, you treat me worse than your dad ever treated you. And she gets so mad. She's like, are you fucking telling me that I treat you worse than what my dad did to me? So I'm worse than a molester? And she's like, yep, you are. You told me to kill myself. You pointed a gun at me. Yeah, you are. You're worse than that. So she tells her... So Celeste tells her daughter, I hope you kill yourself and then I'm going to kill myself. And if you don't kill yourself, I'm going to come kill you because I can't live another day on this earth with you as my daughter. I'm just so wow. sickened by you. So her other daughter's driving the car and she's like, holy oh fucking shit. Oh, we're <laughs> so I'm going to stop and I'm going to get out. So she yeah, takes her I mom would, home would, no, and she goes straight to her sister's house. Okay, good. So good, the good. sisters are together with one of their boyfriends. Okay, good. As the days go by, she keeps calling the daughters so the daughters start recording their mom's crazy outbursts because they're like if she does come after us we need middle of the night the girls it was so sad when i was watching the documentary they slept with baseball bats next to their bed they were scared to go to school because they're like who knows if she doesn't kill us what if she hires someone to kill Mm -hmm. us so i'm sure they're suspicious of the old man being killed by their mom too. Like, yeah, I'm exactly. Sure they think she was involved yeah. somehow. And they're like, it's also, if she doesn't do it with her own bare hands, she has plenty of money and means to find somebody to do it. She knows where we live. Knocked off for five thousand. It might not be like professional or anything like that, but you can have somebody killed. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> So they're terrified. A few weeks go by and the police, you know, they're still biding their time. The daughters have many conversations where Celeste has stated she wanted to kill them, kill both of them, kill the boyfriend, um, and that she, hi- that she hired someone to kill Tracy because she just can't believe, because she's scared of Tracy because Tracy killed their dad. And so it's just a matter of time before she comes after her. So, but, so Tracy didn't go right and find Celeste when she got out of no. jail? Nope. She was like, she I'm done with this crazy one. Okay. So the daughters go to the prosecutors with all these recorded conversations. And what the daughters didn't know is the prosecution team has Tracy's diary. And Tracy's diary spells out everything Tracy has ever said. So it's hard for her to be called a liar because they have written proof that they Mm. took from her house for over six months worth of documentation of the things that her and Celeste did, where they went, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot. It's pretty one-sided. I mean, it's hard to just, like, overnight. Because I can write whatever yeah. I want. Yeah, yeah. Know, I mean, but... they, they walked to her house and arrested her. She didn't have time to write six right. months worth of journals. Yeah. And some of the things, places that they, they went together, to they were able to verify that they were there, seen there together. They went to the country club together. Yeah. They had friends that saw them. Some circumstantial evidence and some corroboration. Yes. Right. So the prosecutors are like, this is exactly what we needed. This is all we this needed to put this bitch away. So two days prior to the trial that Tracy's supposed to have on the attempted murder, she changes it from not guilty yeah. to guilty. It's because they have all this corroborating evidence now. And they went to Tracy and said, basically, we know we know Celeste is crazy. We don't really want you. We want her. Mm-hmm. So if you will change your plea to guilty, we will cut down your sentence significantly. If you just tell us, make sure it's the absolute truth, but Roll. we need as much stuff on her as possible. Tell us what happened. Tell us the truth. So Celeste, and also she did it because whenever she listened to some of the conversations that Celeste had with her daughters and some of the letters that she wrote her daughters, she realized Celeste never loved me. I loved her, but she didn't love me. Yeah, she's just the ultimate. I, she just, <laughs> she, she used me. So that's all she does. I, w- I am sitting in jail protecting her for nothing. So now she's mad. So now she wants revenge. So March 28th of 2002, Celeste is arrested and charged with capital murder. The next year, Celeste's trial starts for the murder of her husband. And some of the witnesses that went on the stand, which did not look good for her, were some of the people at the country club that said, oh, I can't wait for him to die. How much oh, longer sure. do you think he has? He's 70, what, maybe another five or 10 years. I can get through that long. You know, we'll just conserve the money. And I mean, that doesn't look good either. Such an idiot. Her lawyer, Dick DeGarren. Yeah, Dick Diggerin. 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 Dick Diggerin. Dick Diggerin. Dick Diggerin. Dick Diggerin. Dick Dick, just the tip. So Celeste's lawyer, Mr. DeGarren, was a very good lawyer with what a very high... first name? No, I'm kidding. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was a very good lawyer with a very high price tag. Of course. Only the best. Her lawyer 
Mr. DeGaran spent $500,000 to defend her between expert witnesses from different psychologists that met with her along with um, expert other testimony on bank records because she was trying to say that they were saying she spent more than she did. Not that that has anything to do with the murder, but in her mind, I guess she was doing whatever she could to make herself look better. Yeah, this is that that whole that whole thing right there just leads back to a previous episode where I was like, it's all just a dance. It is, yeah. Yep. It's just a it's game. Just a big game. Who's got the bigger dick? Yep. Mm-hmm. Most money. Yep. And can bullshit the best. So whenever her daughters are in the audience, right, and his first set of kids, the three kids he had with his first wife, they're in the audience, right, and they're they're watching the testimony. His kids from his previous marriage, they're all in the audience, right? They're watching. You know, the trial's about mm-hmm. to start. And in some of the pictures that I'll post of her, she didn't really wear... Celeste didn't really wear provocative stuff, but she didn't really wear... I mean, even though she spent $300,000 on clothes, she never wore those classy it clothes. Yeah, it wasn't casual. No. So she walks in looking like she came out of church with a damn cast on her leg. <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to get the sympathy from the jury. And she wore... Neck brace so much, though. It's on her leg, which she never explained. There was no... They asked the prison doctor. There was no records of any reason for her to have a cast on her leg. So where do you just get a random cast? She probably paid somebody to come in and put a fake cast on her. And she wore it the whole trial and had crutches. So, of course, she's getting sympathy. And she looks like a perfectly average, wonderful woman. Like, there, she does not look... Somebody who would have her husband like killed. No shit. So the first thing that the prosecution shows to the shows to the jury is the interrogation tapes, where she says, "Oh, I never had sex with Tracy. I'm not. I'm not gay. I don't like women. I like men." I mean, she just and she's sitting. So the way that they portray her is in the interrogation. She's sitting with like her hands crossed and like under the table, very prim and proper. You know, answering very nicely, acting very professional, which is also how she is in trial. And the documentary, it's funny because they, they showed a few pictures where she, when she first comes in, she's sitting upright and she's sitting perfectly. And then when someone gets on the stand and starts talking, like she slouches to one side and she's got this angry look on her face and her hands are bowed up. Like you can tell that she can't hide who she really else. is. Yeah. Like she's, it's all an act. So the first big witness they call to the stand is Tracy. And she gets on the stand and she tells them, yeah, I had an intimate relationship with her. I, I thought that she loved me. I truly thought we were going to have a future together you know I thought we were going to live together and help raise her daughters and give them a future and you know be grandparents later on like I had no idea what cruel intentions she really had in her mind like I I was completely taken aback yeah that's using somebody all the way to the core no shit because you've got them you've you have gone so far into it that they are convinced that everything you say is true and they've done nothing to make you think otherwise Mm -hmm. That is so twisted. Yeah, this is all the way for love, their compassion. This person's trying to fucking heal and get their life straight when all you're doing is buying your time until you can make your next fucking psycho move. Mm-hmm. So, mm. so Tracy says, you know, Celeste told me that she would try and poison him all the time, that she would make him mashed potatoes and she'd put extra sleeping pills in it and then give him a drink before bed with Everclear instead of vodka, like I said before. And, you know, you're not supposed to mix sleeping pills with alcohol, right? But she wouldn't do it all at once. She would start with dinner and then put it in his dinner, maybe put some in dessert, then put some in a nightly drink. No wonder the guy couldn't get it out of bed. No (laughs) shit, man. I'm I'm on 3M, you know. I'm pretty noodly here. I don't know. Pretty noodly. Fuck. And so, so Tracy said, I didn't blame her for feeling that way because she told me that he was abusing her. So she was like, you know, if this is how you have to get out. Like, I understand. I don't blame you. I'll be there for you. If anything happens, I, I don't know Just anything. Just a supportive yeah. girlfriend. So Celeste asked Tracy, she's like, oh, there's this book I want to buy. Can, can you buy it for me online? I can't buy it because I don't have a credit card. Now, granted, this woman has how much money? She don't have a credit card, not even a debit card. She's lying. So the book that Celeste asked Tracy to buy was called The Poisoner's Handbook. And it taught you... That's why she didn't want to buy it, because she didn't want to have any record of her buying this book. But what Tracy did do is she had it delivered to their house. So she bought it, but Amazon took it to her house, not Uh Tracy's house. And the reason why she wanted it is because it taught you how to make botulism. And her, her plan was to put it in dinner and then feed it to him. And so he would just die of natural causes and it would be no problem. 
So the the state asks her, you know, Tracy, can you stand up and show us, you know, how did the evening go? She's like, well, Celeste told me that he was going to take her to Europe and he wasn't going to bring her back. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. He's going to take her to Europe and he's going to kill her because, or he's going to have her killed or he's going to, she's going to disappear. He has plenty of money. He'll human traffic her. It's just, this isn't good. I have to do something. So I chose to go in there and he, she said, once I entered that house, I saw him and I thought, for what you've done to her, this does not bother me to do this. You're 75. You've lived your life. You're not going to take her life away from her. I am going to save her. So she really felt like she was doing right for her. Not that murder's okay, but she felt like she was walking into an abusive situation. She's like, I'm going to do what's best for Celeste. And she's like, I walked up with the shotgun. I aimed it at his stomach. I shot the gun and I walked away. So she really did shoot him. Yeah, mm. she did. And she said that Celeste had asked her a few times. And she said, no, she couldn't. But then whenever she told her, he's taking me to Europe and I don't know if I'm going to come back, Tracy thought, oh my God, the love of my life is going to leave and she wants to be with me. I want to be mm. with her. I'm not going to let him take her away from me. Just shows you how somebody so psychotic can be completely manipulated. Absolutely. Like that's that's beyond all of the other manip- manipulation stories that yeah. we've read. Like mm-hmm. none of the other ones have gone this far into lying to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Complete manipulation. And I mean, it makes me wonder if she went into the rehab program with those intentions and was like mm, who is that's my target scary yeah almost like she went in there to find a victim yeah and she went back you. the second time i wonder if she was doing the same thing to look for someone else maybe to glob onto and then couldn't find anybody weak enough and then left and it's, it's like it always back, comes back to you know it's um um, predators are opportunistic. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think the I think the reason why Celeste told Tracy that she was being beaten was because Tracy had been beaten. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she knew that Tracy knew what that actually, actually she was playing on her was a victim and knew what that felt like and was like, oh my God, I don't want that to happen to you anymore. Like, I know what that feels yeah, like. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and she just leaves and she's like, and I knew the next day that Celeste would be safe and that he would be maybe found shot she really thought that they would just think that natural causes which shows she knows nothing about anything right and she and she said that when yeah (laughs) she's like i just thought i just thought they would just think that something that something happened to him everything's fine here except the seven pounds of blood in this man's belly if she had a shotgun and and was well, engraved and she left the shell and in the, you said in the she house. was smart and had a degree that's bullshit i don't believe that at all that was a lie she she didn't think they would come out with with the whole the whole bullet so thing. people's guts just naturally come out no never that's what i'm saying never come on if that's the case then our guts would fall out all the time our body keeps them together. No, but that's my point. Is like she knew they were onto her yeah. when they come and got her. Yeah, and, the, I, and I, I think I think she thought they'll they'll arrest me and then I'll tell them what I did and I'll explain all this yeah, abuse and it'll be fine and and it'll be fine. It's so, it was self defense. Mm-hmm. I was saving her. Yeah. So because of the plea that she gave of guilty and everything that happened, she had a sentence of twenty years, but they told her she could go on parole in ten. As long as she gave testimony. So, of course, the defense is like, oh, well, you're only telling all this because you got a a lower sentence. And she said, it was a reason, but not my main reason. My main reason for coming forward is that Celeste is the biggest manipulator. And if I can save one person, one other person from being manipulated by her, including her children, it's worth it for me. Absolutely. You know, have been fucked. All the way around. <laughs> right. Yeah. And right. I wish you fucked back. <laughs> don't want anybody else to fall into the tr- this bullshit trap. And you know she would, too. Of course yeah. she would. And she's doing it in jail. And she can't. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She's already doing it if she came out with a damn cast. So, because, you know, I, I told you she spent all this money on her defense. A hundred witnesses. A hundred. Oh, Could you imagine having to be a juror on that? Like the, all these irrelevant, fucking blathering, stupid people that went nowhere. It's like spending the day. I'm surprised so the then, judge put up with it. Actually, as if you didn't think she was bad enough, right? Then more. <laughs> her 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 motive or her her theory on how things really happened was she thinks her daughters hired Tracy to kill him. So that they could, because they, they were gold diggers. So her daughters get on the stand and their attorney's like, so let me get this straight. You had a Cadillac, a very old Cadillac, but it ran very well. And the second that, you know, he, he dies and your mom starts giving you money, you bought a Jeep and you bought this and you bought that and you bought this. And she's like, it was my inheritance to do what I wanted with. 
and yeah, I bought a Jeep and yeah, I bought this and I bought that and I bought a new computer. I'm also in college. And he's like, yeah, because you wanted more money. So you you thrived because you spent more money after his death than while he was alive. And she's like, that's because I didn't have to ask for money when he was alive. When he was alive, he went and bought it for me. I didn't have to ask for it. Just because it wasn't on my credit card doesn't mean he didn't buy me things. Yeah. So her daughters were, of course, like, completely demolished like how could you think and one of the daughters even said on the stand i never had a dad my dad could have saved me from the foster system so many times he didn't come in the picture until my mom wanted to have sex with him again when we turned 18 we didn't have a mom we didn't have a parent until Stephen beard adopted us Mm -hmm. and for the last five years we've had a father finally have a parent why would we want the one person in our life that gave us stability nurturing love and care why would we want i would rather her be gone than him yeah So what good is money for me if I don't have a parent? I mean, it's amazing how level-headed these two girls are for what they've been through. Considering what they've been through. Both of the girls had gone to an attorney and said, so what happens to my mom's money? Like, now that she's, if she gets convicted and she goes to jail, where where does that money go? Because we'd like to have it back because we want to give it to his kids. Because that's where it belongs. She she doesn't get it. She shouldn't get to have it. And we don't deserve it. His kids deserve it. So they say, so we heard that. So her attorney's like, so you want all your mom's money now too. So you put through her under the bus for what y'all wanted done so you could get her money. And that's when she said, no, actually, we were going to give it to Stephen's kids from his first marriage because their kids and their grandkids could benefit from it more than we could. And they're the most deserving. And her face turns to like pure evil because she didn't want anything to do with his first set of kids. Of course not. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Like God forbid they have any money. She, she was she was mad that hers. out of the ten million they 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 got to have half I'm of sure. it. That made her so mad. I'm sure because she had to share with them. So then the prosecution plays the tapes where she threatened the girls and she threatened to kill herself and them and everything else. And the defense goes back up and says, "Well, all the evidence you have is circumstantial. Tracy's a poor witness. She was an alcoholic. She was abused. She'd been in psych hospital. She got ten years off her sentence. Like she got." 20 years with 10 of parole for murdering someone. Obviously, there's a problem here. So after four weeks of trial and 23 hours of deliberation, what do you think the verdict was is? Was the trial in Austin or did they have to move it? It was in Austin. Okay. Oh, innocent. Innocent? I don't want to admit it, but it's probably innocent because she got the best defense lawyers and they had 100 witnesses. And Nope, she got guilty. Yes! Yes! And good job on the daughters. I'm sure the daughters played a big role in that happening. And so tapes and everything. And when they ask one of the daughters, like, are you glad? She's like, it's a lose lose for us because if she wins and she gets off, we are going to be worried the rest of our life. If if she's going to kill us and we lose a mom, right? Because we can't ever be around her. But if she gets convicted and she goes to jail, we lose her as a mom any relationship we could have had with her, bad or good, is gone, mm-hmm. and we we still don't have Stephen. So it there there for us, there's no winning. But yeah. for Stephen's family, there's 100% winning because now she's there's held justice, and they get what's that what they're entitled, what they were always entitled to. So this kind of made me really sad. But the daughter that she threatened to kill, you know, you get a chance for the victims to get on the stand and say things. Oh. So she gets on the stand and first she says, Celeste, because you don't deserve to be called mother. What did I ever do to you but love you? But this is how you treat me. You treat us like trash. Shame on you. I hope that you spend the rest of your life behind bars, which you will, like the trash you are. And she left the stand. And then draw. Right. And then his son, Stephen Beard III, when they asked him how, you know, how do you feel about the verdict? He said, as crazy as this may sound, I have to thank Tracy Tarleton because if she had not come to her senses and turned Celeste over, I'm afraid that Celeste would be out free and Tracy would be serving a life sentence. That's true. So though she is the one that put the bullet in my, in my dad physically, Celeste is the one that took him from us Mm -hmm. because if she had not lied and manipulated Tracy, then he wouldn't be gone. Yep. So she got 40 years to life in prison. So she'll be 80 when she could get paroled. She continues to, of course, say that she's innocent and she hates her daughters. So she, she, she doesn't have kids anymore. She doesn't have kids. She's on a mom. And so after she gets put in jail, she contacts the bank and says, <laughs> so 
how are you going to get me my ten thousand dollars monthly allowance? Because even so though I'm in jail, like oh my gosh! Is there any way that, that you could put it on my books? <laughs> and that's a lot of as did they just? That's a lot of sodium, Sharon. They literally hung up on her. Good. And because that money's probably going to his actual well, children. And that's, well, that's what the daughters were trying. The, 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 the daughters were trying to get ownership of the money so they can sign it over to the Beard family. Paperwork for years. And um, so she's been sending a letter almost every day to the bank saying, like, I can't live like this. I want, I want to appeal, but it's going to cost $500,000 to appeal. That's what the court told her. Because he writes back, he's like, Dear crazy McBitch face, fuck crazy pants. Save your 30 cents in postage for your books and your rods. I would send her like Monopoly money or something crazy like that. So she, to this day, of course, you know, she's still in jail, right? 40 years to life. Um, She's still trying trying to appeal it because there's no physical evidence, which no one said that she killed him. No. Tracy admits that she killed him. But her craziness and her manipulation is what caused Tracy to kill him. So if she hadn't lied about everything, Tracy would have had no reason to shoot him. So so what, where is she serving her sentence at? Where, in Huntsville? Huntsville. Where is she? Good. What a stupid hoe. Good for her daughters and good for, so Tracy, is she still in jail? Um, is she in Huntsville as well? She's probably out now because that happened in 2003. So most oh, likely yeah. she's been out because... 20 years would be in another 10 years. So, she, yeah, she should she should be out by now. Good. I hope her daughters are doing well. And... They're very, very far away. Yep. So that is the story of Stephen Beard. Rest in peace, Stephen Beard. Another crazy, twisted tale. What? Damn. And it's, like, it's one thing to manipulate, but then it's, it takes a really low person to fake love, fake love and fake attraction. Yeah. How you do know? you fake yeah. that? Like, how do you fake being gay? I can't gay? fake that. With, yeah, multiple genders, multiple people at the same time mm-hmm. and like how do you i mean how definitely do you look at narcissist. someone yeah how do you definitely. look at someone that you know is broken and allow them to fall for you knowing that you have no interest in them and no future with them you, you have just to want be money really really fucking selfish and he went from rags to riches right and then you drain him of everything he had because you're a rag it's fucked up until next week bye y'all bye y'all love you Case File 17, Stephen Beard, Closed.